Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast, the only official, unofficial Baltimore Ravens podcast from the United Kingdom. This is going to be another long podcast. I hope you like James's voice, because strap in, it's coming. Welcome back to the UK Ravens Podcast. My name is Gus Paul, and I'm once again joined by my friends who I met on the internet. Ian Dwayne, Shane Richmond, and James Big Time Ogden. Ben can't be with us. Ben is somewhere in another country, shockingly. Or is he in this country somewhere? But He's in this country. He's, he's in, in Cornwall, this country isn't he? But yeah, somewhere in the southwest. Relaxing somewhere in the sun. So um, living his absolute best life. This is going to be a big podcast, guys. This is our pre-draft spectacular. So that means there's going to be a lot of me, Ian and Shane asking James questions and me then trying to get James to stop talking so we can then ask him another question (coughs) and start all over again. I propose before we get into the draft, we should touch on a few pieces of Raven's news. Ian, I will come to you first. Calais Campbell resigns a two-year deal after some interest from other teams. Yeah, I, I think this is this is good news. I think everyone's pretty happy with this one. Um, seem to be over on our Twitter friends anyway. Um, as you say, had interest from from other teams. The Chiefs and the Browns were were two uh, apparently, uh, but he's but he's chosen to come back, sign for two years. Uh, it might be one of those one one year and get out deals. Um, it was certainly a, a position that the Ravens needed to strengthen. Um, I think they still need to get younger on the defensive line, uh, but but a defensive line now that includes Campbell, Madabike, Wolf. Hopefully, if he's back fit, and and Michael Pierce suddenly doesn't look as thin as as we thought it might do a couple of weeks ago. Um, Calais played at an extremely high level last season. I think we all agreed that he played far too many snaps. So hopefully they can they can cut down on the, on those snaps. Um, as I say, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if they if they draft a young guy. Um, we we've talked about Madabike. I think that's a big year for him. He's, he's we keep using this word flashed, and he and that's all he's done so far. I think we've seen that the talent's there, but he's he's really got to put it together. Um, but but delighted to have Calais back. A really good guy for the locker room as well, James, isn't he? You, um, as he re-signed a contract, a, v- a video comes out of him before the Titans game, uh, last not last year, the year before, just shouting at the Titans offensive line on his way back into the locker room, getting the team going. He must be a good leader for that defense. Yeah, he always seems to be, doesn't he? I think he's been man of the year as well. I think he's been Walter Payton man of the year at some point in his career. So the guy's just, you know, he's a colossus and he was probably our best defensive lineman last season as well. So you, you do have to be pretty glad that he's back. I know he's, he's, you know, he's, he's getting on in years a little bit, but I feel like he's, he's still operating at enough of a high level that this is, that this is worth the money. It's, you know, he had interest from elsewhere. Apparently he had interest from three or four other teams. So I think this was a, this was a good, good signing and it kind of fills an extra hole as we get into the into the talk about the draft, you know, I, I definitely defensive line is definitely still a need, but it feels like more of a, a long term get younger need now than a um, desperate fill 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 in the first two rounds sort of need. So Shane, a weird one that's come around Twitter these last week. The rumor mill's been spinning about not really what I'd consider a need for the Ravens, 
Melvin Gordon and the Ravens in in contact in contract negotiations contact what what's going on there? Well, I think it's anybody's guess, isn't it? And it's because the Ravens don't say very much about what they're doing. Every other kind of rumor gets going. I think if there's any truth in it, it's that they've seen somebody who's, you know, a potential difference maker and thought, okay, we'll get him in, see what he can do, see how he'll fit together. Um, but equally, you have the possibility of um, uh, what was going on with with Wagner, where he's kind of playing one team against another to get the offer that he really wants to get. And then sometimes you have agents leaking stuff or rumor mills going into um, just going when there's nothing happening, you know, people just are idle and they're coming up with with rumors for the sake of it. I don't think we'll know um, unless uh, unless something does come of it, and then there's you know the Ravens start talking about what was going on afterwards. But um, doesn't seem to be a need. But then you know sometimes in free agency, if the Ravens go out and find a guy who they think is going to make a difference, they'll bring him in. Uh, just you know, on the off chance, and see what, see how it works. So, I think sometimes if they see someone they think is good enough in free agency, they'll just go for it. This, this one wouldn't wouldn't shock me completely. Um, I see a lot of the reaction after after it came out was, well, we can just draft a guy in the fourth round and and stick him in. Why why are we wasting all this money? Um, and and I think that is there's a little bit of truth in that. But look back to someone like J.K. Dobbins, who was a second round pick. Look how good he is. It took him half a season, maybe more, to, to force his way into the lineup and, and start getting significant carries. Dobbins and, and Gus are both going to start the season on the pub list. Harbaugh's already said that. So you're straight away looking at a you need a running back for the first one, two, three weeks of the season that, that can carry the load. Harbaugh's not going to give a fourth round rookie that responsibility. It's, it's not going to happen. Um, so if it's not Melvin Gordon, expect one of the the Murrays or the Freemans or or some experienced guy to be back there running the ball. Well, I think the other thing we also saw last year is that when when the Ravens had to go out and get somebody, they got guys who by the time they settled in were making a contribution. But if you have somebody who you're going out and can be explosive, then in that offense, that's the this is the difference between the offense really working and the offense just about keeping its head above water. So I think, you know, I think Ian's right that there is there is a logic to it. But I also think the Ravens will, if this is a serious move on their part, they will see something there that they think is worth having. And even if it's not a big need, that they they will have decided that that money's not going to go anywhere else anyway. So there's not necessarily a a, a competition, but it's still. I still think it's one of those things where until you actually see the signing made official and they come out and talk about it, 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 there's just so many possibilities for what's actually going on. There's also the thing that a fourth round, that like this this running, this scheme that Greg Roman runs is is not something you can pick up very quickly. Like the gap gap scheme anyway, it can be picked up really quickly, uh, not as like, not that quickly as a zone scheme. Now in a zone scheme, there isn't just a like it's it elijah mitchell was actually very good uh, and probably shouldn't have gone where he went i think he went in the sixth round but he made an or was he undrafted he might have even been undrafted he he made an impact because it, it can sometimes be a little easier to translate into that zone scheme because it's just a bit more of a simpler read for the running back uh gap scheme and especially the complexity behind roman's run scheme just you're not going to be able to plug in a, a rookie running back. And then if you think about the the guys that did go in the third, fourth round, you know, Trey Sermon went in the third round. He he hasn't really amounted to much in San Francisco. 
you had um Kenny and Wangwu, who was who was always gonna be a special teamer, but you know, he got picked in the fourth round and didn't really do anything. Ch- Chuba Hubbard looked okay in flashes. Ramondre Stevenson looked good in flashes, but th- these weren't guys that carried the load. So I, I'm I, I'd be skeptical as to whether you could this is a good running back class, actually, but I'm not sure you could you could pick a guy in the fourth round and and be happy about leaning on him as the as as the guy if when you've got two guys coming back off ACL surgery. That was way longer on Melvin Gordon than I expect us to go for this podcast. It's going to be a, a marathon. Halfway through, my missus came in the room and it absolutely scared the life out of me as well. So I've got so I got lost in the middle of that. Um, last bit of news before we go into anything else. John Harbour was on the Mitch Eisen show. If anyone hasn't listened, have you guys listened to it? No. Our savior. It, no. it was very much a head coach interviews a week before the draft and says absolutely nothing. Um, he hates the overtime rule as we sort of said last week all it does is push everything back by a drive or two um nothing really on the Lamar contracts front and the only th- the only bit of draft news that came out of that is that we're definitely not drafting a quarterback in the first round according to head coach John Harbour worth a listen nice show I like Rich Eisen's show nice little interview but um, not a lot to come out of it. Shane, you you got upset about something just before we hit record. Is that something we want to touch on in this news or do you want to wait until the draft? What was No, it? I think it's it's something we're going to come to later on. It's not particularly I think Ravens fans will find it amusing, but it's not particularly Ravens related. So we were we were talking about um punters being drafted just before we started the podcast and I came across something absolutely mind-boggling. So I bet that's going to keep people sticking with the podcast, isn't it? Whoa, punter <laughs> draft news. Brilliant. I'm staying with this one till the very end. Is it going to be like in the Super Bowl show where we said, oh, we'll come back and talk about the halftime show, and they never did and haven't done it in the fall week since? I, I think the thing that I found is is pretty mind-blowing. I mean, if you, if, if you know anywhere that does like a – um, an NFL pub quiz. It's a cracking NFL pub quiz question, but it's also, it's completely baffling. Anyway, we'll get to it. We'll get to it in, a, in what, about three hours. We'll get to the end of the list, something like that. <laughs> okay, let's start talking about the draft then. Ian, you've sort of taken the lead on the prep for this show with the draft talk. You've been asking questions on Twitter. You've been sending us all sorts of jobs to do one of very much nearly got me fired today because i just spent all day on my phone and playing around with a pff mock draft simulator just to try and get the guy who i wanted to drop to 14 never did how, how do you want to how do you want to proceed you take you take the lead here <laughs> i i'm not i'm not sure why i was yeah i i thought i'd just get in before james did otherwise we'd be here all night so um yeah i mean quick quick overview the Ravens have got 10 picks in the upcoming draft. They've got uh, nine in the first four rounds. So it's going to be, it's going to be very busy. Um, I think the best place to start would be after free agency and, and let's just run through what the, the biggest needs are on, on the team as we see at the minute. I think most people, when they look at the first round, they're expecting the Ravens to draft for need. It's not, not always the way, but if you look at any of the mock drafts we did today, I think we took what two, two tackles, and an edge rusher and Gaz, you you traded back a thousand times and Eric special Eric DeCosta is going to be very happy with you. So um so I think we we all drafted for need as well. 
But but looking at the Ravens after free agency, where where do you see the biggest needs are? To chip in on the on the tackle thing, because I have very little to say about prospects, having not really studied them. Um, I mean, would would you think that you'd use the fourteenth pick on a tackle? Because your best case scenario is that Stanley comes back and he's great, and then you've already got right tackle sorted out in free agency. So you use the fourteenth pick on a guy who you're either going to have to stick in at guard and hope he can do a job. Or he's just not going to play in his rookie year. I mean, this seems like a high pick to use. So in my little mock draft, I I accumulated some picks from the Saints and then took a tackle at 19 and kind of thought, yeah, that's okay. I've taken a tackle and I've picked up two second rounders. I can kind of live with that. But if they do take a tackle at 14, I'm going to think, yeah, this is... Now I'm not sure what I'm hoping for, whether I'm hoping for Stanley to be good or for the rookie to get a chance. It's definitely the most interesting debate, I think, in terms of team needs for the Ravens because... You know, we'll, we'll get into the prospects, and I think there are two prospects at the top that make sense if you take them as a tackle and could potentially keep them inside to guard. Um, it would be a little bit of a waste of both of those those guys' talents, but the other guy you definitely can't. I mean, you can kick him inside to guard, but it'll, I mean, we'll talk about it. But I think uh, so. It is a really interesting sort of discussion to have as to whether they would. You know, you, you could just take two of those guys; they're a bit more versatile. And say, we'll just put our best five guys on the field and we don't really care, which is kind of what they did for the playoff run in 2012, where they just reshifted it around and just put their best five offensive linemen out. But you are kind of the the argument against that is you're 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 using really premium draft capital to play a player out of position, which which seems like a um you know a, a, a bit of a chancy thing to do. I think I, I do think it's a need. I do think there's that you know, I think that it is I think it is there. Like I think you have to because the real the real problem for the Ravens is you can't if Stanley isn't healthy, I, I don't know what the solution is at left tackle. Like I would play Makari there, but he's, I don't think you can play him there for 17 games and and think you're gonna get, you know, a really high level of play from him. He'll do a job and I wouldn't bet against him. You know, you, you do have to, there has to be some kind of contingency plan there, but it's really difficult because it's left tackle. So any kind of contingency plan is going to be an expensive one. And do you think it is a tackle? Or do you think there's a lot of talk about center earlier on? Do you think that the, the center conversation comes back up? Is that at 14 or is that a trade back for a center scenario? Yeah, I just think that there's. it's unlikely that the Ravens invest high draft capital in a centre. They haven't done I mean, they, they, they've zigged against the zag of the usual Ravens way in the last few years. Eric DaCosta does do things differently, so you really can't rule anything out. Uh, and Tyler Linderbaum is a possibility in the first, but I, I do think that I do think that he's... We'll talk about him as well, but I, I do think he's a... He's not quite the right fit for the Ravens, and I do I would see the Ravens potential. Like if you traded back, maybe, but I, I just think it'll be a fourth, fifth round guy to compete with Makari in camp, uh, and maybe the fourth, fifth round guy turns out to turns out to, to be great. When you look at their history, you know, in the past, that's about where they spent. I think the most they've spent on a center in the draft was Jason Brown a few years ago, a um, number of years ago now, with a fourth round pick. So they usually like to fill it with vets. And I also think they probably want to fill this position now with a vet just because of the the way this offense works. I think they'll want a veteran a veteran center. And do we think, Ian, I, th- I think a, a question came down from Twitter from Phil Durkin. Was it around middle linebacker being a, 
a sneaky need? Yeah, so, so you asked if middle linebacker was a sneaky need. I, th- I think it's a bigger need than a sneaky need. I honestly do. Um, I, they, they brought Josh Bynes back, which I don't think we talked about in the news, which we, we probably should have, which, which I think is a good, a good re-sign. Um, but, but he's... He's again. He's one of these aging, aging players. You look at, you look at the depth there. You've got Bynes and Queen, then you've got Harrison after that, and then really a couple of of guys that have not really got on the field. So it's, I think they're really thin at, at middle linebacker. I think James is going to tell us later that this is a good, a good linebacking class, and I think look look for the Ravens to pick someone up there. Um, but but definitely middle linebacker is a, is a sneaky need. I'm not sure how high up the needs it would be. I've, I've just jotted mine down. I think I've got edge. I've got corner. I'd probably have D line ahead of it. But but I think it's 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 definitely a need. Um. So so my list at the minute, my my draft is going to be extremely defense happy. Uh, defense heavy. Um. I think the injuries on the on in in the edge group probably make that number one and and they've lost so many guys at corner with their two best guys coming back from from injury that I think they've probably got a double dip at corner as well a lot of the a lot of the talk about Bobby Wagner when he went to the Rams is the Rams have built a defense where they've got a, a leader at the front a leader in the middle and a leader at the back the Ravens have now find themselves with Clayce Campbell coming back up front and a def away the young guy at the front who's going to be a leader You've got Marcus Williams coming over from New Orleans, who's going to be the leader of the backfield. And who, who James, as it stands, who, who's the leader of that linebacking core? Well, Josh Bynes is the leader of the linebacking core, I, I feel, and and he will give you a, a solid, you know, a, an adequate to solid level of play. Uh, Mike linebacker, he was he was he was solid. He was really solid last year. So I think he's going to give you that. But I do think it's a big. I do think it's a big need. It is. It is still Josh Bynes. You know, if you want to look at this from a really, you know surgical point of view that uh, there's actually a really good um guy on twitter to follow uh, a uk-based guy called tom kislingberry who um looks at uh, defensive personnel and, and puts out loads of tweets about about defense he's, he's like an idp fantasy guy but he's actually got really interesting insights on defense and i think he would say that linebacker and i, I tend to agree i think he would say that linebacker is a really big need for the ravens because yes there was a big big lack of sack production but one of the bigger issues they had was was coverage linebackers and you know what you're really looking for is you're looking what's really difficult about the ravens linebacker hole is they're looking for a mic so they're looking for the middle guy in their in their defense because patrick queen is gonna find i I really do suspect queen will find his hole at at will and then you're gonna have to find a mic he could develop still queen into a mic but you're probably gonna have to find a mic and if you're looking for a mic you're looking in this defense, you're looking for a really intelligent, high processing guy that can cover, like you're looking for a lot of things. And there are a couple of guys in this class like that, but you're looking for a lot. So it's, it's difficult to ask a rookie to come in and come in and do that. So it may be that Bynes is the guy next year anyway, and it's just a stopgap. But I do think it's a need, like, like um, Ian says, I really do think it's, it's quite a big need. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the Ravens pull a bit of a curveball and, and throw the 14th pick on, on Devin Lloyd. From what um, Pro Football Focus have from last season, they have Josh Bryans at the uh, the top-rated Ravens uh, inside linebacker at 74.8. Um, then Christian Welsh 
surprisingly, second, uh, although he didn't really play enough snaps for a proper evaluation, but he comes in at 66.7. Patrick Queen was third with 43.6 because they hate him for some reason. And Malik Harrison was fourth on 42.1. So, and that's it. That's Those are the four that they, they graded. And um, Malik Harrison didn't play enough snaps for a proper grade either. So it's really Bynes and Queen. The difficulty is it's admitting that you made not a mistake with Queen because I do think he's I do think he's a solid, to potentially good, to very good player if he if he hits his ceiling. But it is kind of saying, you know what, we're going to have to invest high draft capital in that position again a couple of years down the line. So it, it is diff- it's difficult to admit a mistake, you, you know, Ed, for anybody. You know, the, the ego involved at, at this level is is pretty big. So uh, it might it might be difficult for them to swallow that. But I tend to suggest I tend to in- expect them to wipe the slate clean with every decision and don't. Don't don't sort of second guess a decision because of a bad decision you made a couple of years ago. Make the right decision now, and I think the Costa will do that if that's if he if he feels that the the linebacker is a big enough need. I've just got my PFF mock draft simulator up in front of me. Um, Devin Lloyd ADP of sixteen. So there's a the conversation that you might be able to go back slightly if if, if needs be and, and still pick him up a, a little bit later. Yeah, and the other conversation that there are several other linebackers. There there are a couple that I like at Mike further up further on in the draft, like definitely in the second round. So you, there's also an argument that you could wait, you could wait on it and not go with Devon Lloyd. But Devon Lloyd's a specimen, and we'll, we'll talk about him at some point. But it, you know, he's an interesting, he's a really interesting fit with the Ravens. Okay. Shane, first round then, what is your best case scenario in the first round? What, 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 what do you want to see the Ravens do? Best case scenario, I, I'm leaning strongly towards the cornerback, um, and I'm not, so as I said earlier, I've not done the kind of evaluation James has. I don't. I haven't looked at the, the guys in the top dozen or so um in any kind of detail but i would be very happy if we landed if somebody like source gardener dropped and we landed him as a cornerback i would be over the moon i think that's that's kind of the 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 difference maker we could land with a with a 14th pick you're not going to get the sort of nailed on starter that you necessarily get in the first 10 maybe but um yeah that's that's what i would like to happen i'm sure it won't happen James, can can I ask what is your have you got your top five top five corners ranked? Because I've we've all seen Source and we've seen Stingley. It's three, four, and five I find interesting because I've seen even DJ Daniel Jeremiah. I think he's got Stingley as his third corner, um, and and there's a couple of other guys. I wondered where the, where you had them ranked. Yeah, I don't understand DJ ranking Stingley there. For me, Stingley uh, is probably one of the best three players in this class for me overall um so he's the best corner on my board uh the thing i would say with stingley is uh, the reason i believe that is because stingley because i believe the derek stingley you're getting is the freshman derek stingley so the thing you, you sort of have to remember with stingley was that he he came into college and sort of set set the world alight in terms of cornerback play when he uh, joined and they were that was the 2019 season when LSU won the national championship with Joe Burrow as the as the quarterback and with Jamar Chase and, and Justin Jefferson um, in the wide receivers court so I would have loved to see the practice from his freshman year and going up against those two guys but he was you know he was a guy who was very very good um as a 
as a freshman. And then he had some struggles with some injuries, a bit of loss of form. And now there's sort of people suggesting actually he's not that good and, and that the, the, the Stingley you're getting is the sophomore junior, Derek Stingley. I, I just don't think that's the case. And I, I saw enough in his play. I don't I don't believe there may have been a drop off in form. There may have been a drop off in production. But the traits I see on tape on his in his sophomore and his junior year are the same things I see I saw on tape in his freshman year. You know, the guy is, you know, he he. First of all, he's he's a demon at the line of scrimmage. Like he's he will match up with a guy like Chase, and will play. He'll play chess with him. Is the great thing about it. He's a, he's a very intelligent player at the line of scrimmage. Um, he's very patient with his hands, but he's he's got a great jam to him when he's when he's up in in press. He's got incredible ball skills. So he, I, I'm, I'm not going to say it, <laughs> um, but he. He um, got he got a number of he got six interceptions and and I think he got fifteen pass breakups in his freshman year. So that's ridiculous production on the ball. So he he gets his hands on balls. Uh, <laughs> it was just it, it just it didn't last long. It just flowed out. He was trying. He was really I tried. Trying. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he he's ridiculous in that sense. Uh, I think that you know there are some things that, that he needs to work on. Um, you know, I, I don't think he consistently inserts himself in the run game, so he doesn't doesn't necessarily look like a Raven on film. Um, as much as you would say, like Marlon Humphrey looked like a Raven when he played at Alabama, but he's got plenty of physical toughness and plenty of play strength, so I'm not really worried about that. Uh, for me, he's the top corner in in the class. Um, you know, we should talk about Source as well. <laughs> But it seems as though everyone thinks Source and uh, Stingley are going to go in the first 10 in all likelihood. If the Ravens, I mean, we've said the, the corner is a need for the Ravens. If they do want to take a corner in that first round, where do they go if those two guys are off the board? Do they have to drop back from 14? Is there anyone worth taking at 14? So I, so I, there are a couple of guys I like at 14, but I'm not necessarily... Uh, I don't think I'm necessarily in the majority on that front. Just quickly on Source, he, you know, he he's very he's very very good. You know, he's he's exactly what you would look for in a Raven corner. He's ridiculously long, prodigiously long. It's, it's absolutely absurd um, how big the guy is. Uh, and he basically didn't that like he 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 did not get thrown at virtually at all this last last year you just can't you can't watch a game of source gardener from this last season and and really see his ball skills because he ne- they never threw the ball at him there was some quotes in bruce feldman's mock recently that said um from a coach in college football who said he was that good we just didn't want to test him we just put some slapdick receiver out there all game and just didn't throw at him <laughs> um, so that's that's how good he was, uh, and there was plenty of reason for that. And if you go back and watch earlier earlier film, you can you can see him tested, and he's very very good. Um, and he stays in phase. The only thing with him is there's a little bit of maybe a little bit concern over his tackling, but not enough for it to be a, a not not a top ten pick. So I think you're right, Shane. There's a good chance that both of them will be gone. Uh, if if either of them are there, they're a slam dunk pick. If either of them get close, I can imagine. You know, for me, both of them are you know, top seven, eight players in this draft. And if that's the same on the Ravens board, they'll go up and get them if they drop to sort of 10, 11. Uh, so I, th- I think that's a possibility. If they don't, the, the the other... So first of all, you you can get corners all the way through this draft. There are There is a really deep corner class and there's some really interesting options further down the line for the Ravens that, that will fit what they do. The guys that I would consider at 14, is I would consider Trent McDuffie 
um, who is a really difficult projection to the Ravens scheme because if you pl- watch him play at Washington, he plays a lot of zone and bail. So he will just turn and bail off the ball. And so you don't, you have to watch a lot, a lot of him to be able to watch him play in man coverage and press, press man. Um, and he does do a job. Like he, he's very short in the arms, but, and that length does show, you know, that lack of length does show up occasionally when he's in press, but he's physical and he's got a plan and he can match angles with his footwork as well. So the guy's, the guy is good in press. And I think you can project him to that role at the next level. He's also probably the most intelligent corner in the class. Like he processes at a ridiculously high level and he would offer some versatility for the Ravens with playing, playing more zone. So I, I would consider McDuffie at, at, um, at 14. The metrics would say maybe not because of his because of his arm length, but I, I just don't buy that. I do think he's good enough to to consider him at fourteen. The other guy that is that is basically, I think I think most people are so. My I have a guy ranked as high as Stingley and um, and Sauce Gardner, and that's Andrew Booth. Now he's had a lot of injuries, and if you read between the lines from Clemson coaching staff. It seems like they were disappointed that he wasn't on the field more than he was. So he was a highly recruited, very talented corner uh, who just really didn't get on the field until his last year in college. And it seemed like they felt, just reading between the lines, it felt like they they thought he could have played more than he did. Uh, Obviously, if that is true, that's not going to go down well with the Ravens. They're not looking for a guy like that. He played through some injuries in his last season as well. So that's worth saying. The thing about him is if you watch him, he looks he looks like a raven. Like he one of the reasons why I think he gets injured a lot is because he plays with this kind of reckless abandon where he just throws his body into tackles, sometimes to the detriment of the tackle itself. Um, but he's so physical, so physically tough. And he's just, I feel like he's just very good at the primary job of a corner, which is like staying close enough to the receiver to stop the quarterback from targeting him. Like that's the, that's basically what you need as a corner. And in short areas, he's very good at that. He's plenty long enough to play outside. So I do, I really like Booth at 14, but it just seems like with all the narrative out there that there is something about, I, I, there is something going on with injuries or, or, or kind of play style. There's just something going on out there that probably means he won't get taken until later in the first round, maybe into the second round. So I would consider him there, but I don't have all the information. I'm just watching the, the tape. I don't have all the information the teams have. From the mocks I played around with this afternoon, and there were many, many, many of them, it feels like a year where you're going to have your Sauce Gardner and or Derek Stingley Jr. dropping. The Ravens frantically trying to trade up one or two spots. I think I ended up coming up from 14 to 11 and at 11, both were still available in one of the many mocks. The one I've got in front of me has gone, Derek Stingley's gone second to Detroit. So it's all over the place, this one. Um, it feels like one of those years where we're going to be sat up draft night, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. The guy's going to keep dropping. The guy's going to keep dropping. Behind the scenes, the Ravens are making calls. The Ravens are making calls. And then at 14, we end up taking a tackle because they're going to go at um, 11, somewhere between 10 and 13, both the guys that we wanted. With that in mind, James, I know we've sort of, you've briefly touched on tackles already, but let's talk about the top few tackles and, and where the Ravens would be, would be sat at 14. Should, let's assume cornerbacks the, the number one priority and 
they go for the very Ravens pick of an offensive line. How does it look for us there? So the the dream the dream is Iki Aquanu, um, but I'm I'm pretty sure the dream won't stay alive outside of the top five picks. Okay. Uh, I, like I, I just feel like he is going to go. I think the thing with with Aquanu. So first of all, there's a ton of stuff to like, to just really like about that. Like, so Iki Aquanu, he he is what like one of the nastiest offensive linemen in this draft. He will finish guys, and if like there are a couple of tapes where he's just. It's like you, you sit there watching it laughing at, at how he's absolutely destroying people, taking people's souls. Uh, and then you go and read his bio and he's he won an award in elementary school for joy. And apparently he's like the life of the NC State locker room. And apparently when he puts his helmet on, he's just a completely different guy. So I cr- kind of like that. He fits really well with the Ravens scheme. He actually runs a really heavy zone scheme at NC State, but... He's, he's he'll be a great gap blocker. There's no no doubt about it. He's he's got some issues in pass protection, but not all of them are fixable. And he's just the ceiling for him is really high. It's a really high ceiling, and so that's why he's kind of the dream dream pick, I think. But there are other guys that are interesting. Evan Neal uh, from Alabama uh, is also a. It will also be a, a fine, solid dr- gap blocker. He'll be fine in in the run game. Uh, he's he's a very good pass protector. Just really smooth. Uh, really difficult to beat. He's very, very big, um, and so Evan Neal is certainly a certainly a possibility. But again, I just feel like he the dream with him will be over within the within the first five picks too. The the, re- the thing I was alluding alluding to earlier is both of those guys have played guard in their career, so both of them have played guard, and you could you could feasibly take one of those guys and put them at guard, and uh, you know it would be a little bit of a waste because you're kind of you do kind of want them to play left tackle. They're both left tackles. Like that's that's who they should be in the league. But you you could play them play them at guard and get a real like a real upgrade in terms of left the left guard position and, and have a really dominant offensive lineman. Stanley is back, and obviously the insurance if he's not the guy that isn't. And I'll talk about Penning in a second, who's the fourth guy. But the guy who you really can't do that with is Charles Cross. Um, Charles Cross is the one that uh, Eric DeCosta said looks like a power forward, and, and he is. It's if you watch if you watch Iki Aquanu and then Charles Cross back to back, there's so such a difference in their body shape. Cross is really lean, but he's still you know got plenty of you know plenty of weight, plenty heavy enough to um, to play. He played in a scheme with Mississippi State with Mike Leach as the head coach who which is, is very much uh, a pass-first offense. There is not much run. There are, they really don't run the ball very often, so you can't really see him that much. But if you watch enough, you can see he's a good good run blocker. He, ha- he has some things in, in pass protection that I think need cleaning up. But he's he's working with Duke Manyweather, and so I expect him to, to clean that up. The ceiling with him is ridiculously high. The problem with taking him, and he's the most likely to be there at 14, I think really wrongly, because I think the three tackles really should go in the top top six or seven picks in this draft. They are the top top like in the top six or seven players in this class. The problem with him is it's like it's like getting the Mona Lisa and hanging it in my bedroom. You know, sure, it's a great painting and there's going to be some enjoyment, but it's not like putting it in the Louvre and everybody can see it. Like if you put Charles Cross at guard, that's what you're doing. Like you're he'll be fine and he'll do a job, but you're wasting him. Like the, the guy is a left tackle. And and so you he is a waste of guard. So that's the problem. He's the most likely to be there. Of the three, 
And I think you probably don't want to kick him inside. So the fourth guy is Trevor Penning. So Trevor Penning is the reason I, I let out a breath of air is that it, it seems with all the rumors that the that Penning will not get past the Ravens. Apparently the Ravens love Penning. They they think he's great and they're they're sort of in love with him. He he fits everything that a, that a, you'd want from a Ravens tackle, from the Ravens want from a, from an offensive tackle, which is length. He's ridiculously long in his arms, uh, plenty of size. He's extremely athletic. He kind of blew up the combine really under the radar uh, and and tested it off the charts on the combine. He's got he has got a lot of issues to resolve in pass protection for me, uh, and you can read about what I think those are. Uh, he's uh, as a run blocker he's great he's incredibly physical he's nasty to the point of like too much aggression at times sometimes uh, and will really drive guys into the ground so he's the kind of guy who sort of changes that sets the tone for the for the ravens offensive line and the ceiling with him is very high so you you do have to if if you get him in the building and feel like you can fix his issues the ceiling is sky high so i do feel like penning Penning would be a real upside pick at 14. I just think there's a lot to lot to resolve there. And when things are, when the things you have to resolve are muscle memory things, they're not things that are kind of, you know, learn this about the game and you'll be better. It's can he do, can he rep in, rep out, do the things that he isn't doing at the moment in pass protection. And that, that can't always be resolved. Like it can at times, but it also can't. It's, it's inconsistent from dip, from player to player. So ceiling's high with him. I, I would be a bit frustrated if he was the pick, just because I do think there are better players than Penning. There are 13 better players than Penning in this, 14 better players than Penning in this draft that I would take above him. Um, but I, I can see the logic if they do take him. And I guess, I mean, to get back to that issue of whether it would make sense to take a tackle at all that high, you're basically tied to Ronnie Stanley for the next two seasons, pretty much. I mean, it's it's hard to see how the Ravens could get out of his contract before that. You do feasibly kind of have two years where you could then go, okay, we're cutting Ronnie Stanley loose and moving on to our next guy, in which case you could sort of think, well, Penning having two years of sort of coming in and out and learning from the coaches and, you know, coming up to his ceiling and then coming in maybe makes sense. But still, to me, I don't like the idea of, of picking a guy at 14 and the understanding that we're going to play him in 2024. It just seems, I don't know. That's unless you look at what happened with Orlando Brown Jr. Where you put him out at right tackle for, for two years and decide on Ronnie Stanley then. Orlando played right tackle fairly. He sort of, he, he did a very good job at right tackle and he sort of went back, he went with what the Ravens wanted him to do until he all of a sudden tweeted that he wants to be a left tackle and he was out the door within however many weeks. So maybe you, you look at bringing somebody in to put in that right tackle spot, have two years, try and go, get a Super Bowl with two bookend tackles and, and then you can readdress Ronnie Stanley and possibly move your, your younger right tackle over to left tackle in a couple of years' time. Ian, it's probably worth mentioning that um, Ronnie Stanley's been on a walk today and, and Twitter has gone gone pretty mad about it, haven't He it? has. Bare, barefoot on the beach and he was walking pretty slowly, but he was walking and, and yeah, Twitter seemed to... Seem to enjoy that one and think he's he's a hundred percent and he'll be he'll be back out there. So um, he 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 was 
on Twitter laughing and joking about it as well. So he's he's obviously in good good spirits. So yeah, we all want to see we all want to see Ronnie back. But this this draft really it hangs on on Ronnie's ankle, really, doesn't it? Like I think we're going to know an awful lot more about what they what they do in the first second round. Will tell us a, a lot about how they feel about Ronnie Stanley. I think we'll we'll know that pretty pretty soon. You you are Shane. Um, about 15 minutes ago, what the, the ideal scenario was. For, for me, the ideal scenario for the Ravens is that the Lions and the Panthers get really needy at quarterback and take a couple of those. Um, I Again, going back to, to DJ, he's my, he's my go-to guy if it's not James for the draft. He's got three wide receivers uh, in his top 14 players. So if we can get three wide, wide receivers, two quarterbacks off the board, that's just pushing that defensive talent down the board for me and that's that's the way the way I'd love to see things go. Well and the thing to bear in mind is you look at those top 10 draft picks and there's a few I'm not going to name them it would be rude but there are some clown franchises that are that are picking high up there like there there are franchises who make a living doing stupid things year after year after year. So there's every possibility that, um, to, to just trail something that's coming earlier, there's every possibility one of them takes a punter, say. <laughs> I mean, the team that holds the first overall pick, their fans literally all dressed as clowns for the last game of the year and then bet, in, bet Indianapolis. So you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. what's gonna happen. And Jets fans, it used to be the tradition for Jets fans when the draft was in New York that they would all go along and boo whoever was picked <laughs> yeah. on the assumption that it was just a bad pick because the Jets had made it. And they were, they were pretty much right year on, year out. So, you know. <laughs> Okay, well, we're talking about sort of the top players by position then, James. Before we move on, let's talk about what I'd say is probably the the last area that um, comes up as a Ravens need, and that is the defensive front. Looking at players available at 14 and players we've talked about on the podcast over the past few weeks, the Michigan Connection, David Ajabo at 14, where does he sit in your top five rankings and is anyone else going to fall? So Jarbo's in my top five based on film, but unfortunately Ajabo, uh, I think it was his Achilles. He tore his Achilles at his pro day. So he's not going to go in the first round now. Uh, and he would be a waste of a pick at 14 for the Ravens. You know, this is a team that is close and, and can't afford to be picking a guy that's going to sit for a year. Uh, and also, you know, you do worry about Achilles with explosive players like that. Uh, I love Ajabo. I think the concerns about him in the run game are a bit overblown. And I think him as a pass rusher, he's as inexperienced as Owe was coming out, but he's so much more polished than Owe. Like he has a ridiculously good rush plan. He's got all these sophisticated moves that he's already developed on less snaps than Owe. So Ajabo is a really high ceiling guy that I would love if he does drop to to 45 would be a, a slam dunk, I think, as a second round pick for a contending team. But in the first round, you, you want to go with with um, with the guy that's going to play. So the thing you have to remember, I think, is that the, the three best are going to be off the board. So Trayvon Walker, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Aiden Hutchinson, Aiden Hutchinson are going to be off the board. There is all this stuff about Kayvon Thibodeau, about how he uh, doesn't love football. <laughs> just, just a bunch of nonsense. I saw Chris Sims had him outside his top five edge rushers. Uh, yesterday on Twitter, which, uh, and then said that there was 
or there is nothing he does better than those five guys, which just basically tells me he watched about three snaps of Kevon Thibodeau. Um, <laughs> just this, make, this is a guy the, the Ravens have met with Thibodeau, haven't they? He's, they have, yeah, yeah. It, it makes it makes me really angry when people put takes out like that because you just haven't spent the time. Like last night, I was up to ridiculously late watching a fourth and fifth game on Jelani Woods, who's a tight end out of Virginia to see whether I was actually right about whether he can adjust his hands to catch the ball below his waist or whether he can't. So I'm sorry if you are putting crap out there like that on the timeline without having put in the work. These kids are trying to make a living and you just obviously get on tip of you you love football. Chris Sims does not love football. <laughs> yeah, true. On, on this week's edition of James and Gaza's lives are way different. That was <laughs> anyway. Um, so Thibodeau, I think he will be gone. I just think this is all the nonsense, and this is probably teams uh, trying to get him to fall. Uh, I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. He, he's he's easily like there's there's some there are some concerns with him, but it's not it's not enough to 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 have him not in the top ten. So Thibodeau, Hutchinson, and and Walker will be gone. They're all interesting conversations, but probably not worth having here. The the guy who is realistically going to be there is Jermaine Johnson, um, and Jermaine Johnson would be a great pick at fourteen. He really fits the Ravens. He's definitely worthy of the 14th overall pick. I think he's probably just, he's definitely a top 15 player in the class for me. For lots of people, he's a top 10 player in the class. He is a physical dominant run defender. He's a guy who's going to set a really hard edge. And to, to have him and Owe setting the edge would be just, you know, would be a sight to see. He's plenty, he's ridiculously athletic too. He um, originally went to Georgia uh, and had to transfer out of Georgia last year because there was so much talent on the Georgia defensive line. And he went to Florida State and got double digit sacks. So, he, and at Florida State, he was the guy. People were chipping him, they were double teaming him. He was the guy. And he still managed to get that kind of production. He, he's got great get off he's got a genuine three-way go so he can come through you he can go right through the middle of you with a bull rush or a speed to power move he can get around the outside with his speed and explosion he can come inside he's just he's a great he's a really good pass rusher he's got a great plan he's a really good run defender he would be a slam dunk at 14 if he's there i hope he is there's a chance he won't be i keep saying this about all of the players uh but i do think ultimately it probably does shake out that the four edge rushers including jermaine johnson the three offensive tackles and the two corners that most people consider as, as worthy of the 14th will be gone uh, by the time it gets to 14 and the ravens will have a decision to make about a different position maybe a secondary position of need or a secondary player at those uh, you know a second tier player at a position of need Speak, speaking of that second secondary player in, in those tiers, James, a, a guy that I've seen mocked to the Ravens a lot this last week was someone who I hadn't heard of at all through the process. I I, I don't know anything about this guy. And it's uh, George Karlaftis. Am I saying that right? Uh, yeah. uh, thought, thoughts on him? Yeah, Carl Aftis is an interesting guy. He's um so he's he's Greek origin. That's why the that's the Carl uh, Aftis name. So he's He's an interest. He's interesting. He's got a good rush plan. Uh, like I really like the way he gets home. He knows how he wins. Like he takes advantage of what the what the offensive lineman gives them. He was also at Purdue, so he faced a lot of attention. Like there was no one else on that Purdue defense that people needed to care about. So they threw everything at Carl Aftis, and he still still played well. I have some I have some issues with him. Um, the the first thing for me is like he. 
one of the things in terms of run defense is he, when he has to go further, so when he has to travel further, either from playing outside as a stand-up, um, like a, a stand-up, basically outside linebacker in the way that the Ravens play in their scheme, it's slightly different, different terminology. Or when he has to go from, say, a five technique, which is lined up in front of the tackle and go to the guard. So when he's having to travel a bit further distance, he loses his hand technique. He's, he sort of gets out of control as he has to move further. And so his hands aren't as good. So like, there are some technical concerns for me in terms of his run defense. Um, I also think there are a number of situations where better offensive linemen could shut him down. So if you did get a really good offensive lineman up against him, it, with certain traits that you find a lot in the NFL in offensive tackles, you can shut him down. Now, I, I don't. I think it's been a little bit overblown. Like lots of people have sort of suggested he should fall out of the first round. I certainly don't think that's the case. He's a good player, uh, but he for me is in that next tier of, of edge rushers. So if you took a Carl Aftis, I think for me it would be akin to taking a Penning. There are lots of things that I think need need resolving with him, and I, I think he would. Like there's but certainly potential there. He's plenty athletic. He tested pretty well. So there is a ceiling there. Uh, but I think he's probably like a second tier edge rusher um, to, to sort of consider. Uh, and then if you want, we can talk about the the other guy uh, on the defensive front to talk about that isn't an edge rusher, which is Jordan Davis. Um, he's probably, probably my, fa- I mean, I, people really are going to be sick of my voice by the end of this. Um, he's probably By the end of it that's bold. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can talk Jordan Davis if you want he's yeah, massive go. he's massive he's fast and he's really scary how's that <laughs> that works he um I've had to uh, so I've converted for a couple of people occasionally I talk to people in my life about the draft and I have to find things that are actually interesting to talk about and so I converted his um his measurements into something that would mean something to to Brits. So he's obviously he's three hundred and forty pounds, which is metric conversion. So he's twenty four stone. So he's a twenty four stone man, and he ran his forty yard dash in a time that would be equivalent to an eleven and a half second hundred meters. So twenty four stone, he ran an eleven and a half second hundred meters. Um, the guy is ridiculously athletic. It shows up on tape as well. Like he, that he, he is that explosive and that quick on on film. Uh, I think he's got some pass rush upside. That, like most people look at the three forty and are like, oh, he's just a nose tackle. He's just Brandon Williams. That's not who this guy is. Like he's explosive. He gets in the backfield. He really does. You, you can't block him with one guy. You absolutely have to bring more than one guy if you want to get him blocked on a play. The the difficulty with him at the moment is he can get blocked when you do bring two guys. So you can push him off the ball with two guys. He doesn't know how to occupy double teams yet. You'd be foolish to suggest he can't do that in the future, given the size of the man. Um, but I, I, like at the moment, he can't do that. But he is a penetrator. He's a guy who's going to get in the backfield. He's going to be a guy who rushes the passer. The real challenge with him is his snap count. So if, he's, if he gets to 340 and he plays where he was playing towards the end of the season... He'll be able to play 40 snaps a game, which is extremely valuable. And, and those 40 snaps will be run and pass because I, I don't believe that you have to just play him on rundowns. He's going to affect um, the game as a pass rusher. So if you can get that out of him, that's great. The challenge is if you see him... So there were a few teams that tried to keep him on the field by extending drives and going uh, hurry up. 
And towards the end of those drives, towards the end of games, he looked a little bit gassed. Now, that is to be expected with a 350-pound human. So I'm, I'm not really that worried about that. The, the real question really is how many snaps can you get him on the field? And if, you, if he is committed and you can get him down to the level and the conditioning that would get him on the field for 40 snaps a game, then he is more than worthy of the 14th overall pick. And the ceiling is very high with him because of that athleticism. But I would have thought that the Ravens will have a pretty good sense of whether they can get him into that kind of conditioning. And obviously, they, they've tended, might be different under a new defensive coordinator, but they've tended to rotate their defensive fronts quite a lot in any case. They tend not to to want to have people on the field too often if they can avoid it. So neither of those things seems like a huge concern. And then the other point you mentioned that you can stop him if you double team him. I imagine they would be absolutely delighted if you wanted to double team the rookie and not some of the other guys who the Ravens can stick on their defensive front. Yeah, and, and they've got a track record of showing people how to occupy double teams in the way they want to. Matabike came in with absolutely no idea how to occupy double teams and and within uh, like less than a year, he was starting to do it and now he does it at a pretty good rate. So, and the size of the man just suggests that he would be able to do that. The thing that, that, that at the moment he is, he's a one gap player right now. Like most, like if you think four, three defensive teams aren't going to take him because he's a big 340 pound nose tackle. That's wrong. Like that he can, he is scheme diverse. He can play in both schemes. And I, I just, and you're right, Shane, like all defensive linemen are rotational defensive linemen now. Like you, there are very few defensive linemen, say maybe Aaron Donald, who plays 100%, who will play 100% of snaps. Uh, and so you, if you're taking a defensive lineman, you're sort of committing to that anyway. So it, it doesn't really worry worry me too much. I, I think he's well. I think he's one of those guys who's kind of on the in the consideration for the 14th overall pick for me. I, I would certainly put him in the conversation along with a couple of other guys, if those top sort of nine, 10 guys I mentioned before are gone. So James, with all that being said, then what is your best case scenario at 14? I mean, best case scenario is Iki Iquano. I want Iki Iquano badly. Um, I would love to see him <laughs> uh, play for the Ravens. It's just not going to happen. So I think the realistic best case scenario really is Jermaine Johnson. It's that Jermaine Johnson just slides a bit. You know, if you if you force in two quarterbacks into the top 10, if you maybe force in a receiver or two, uh, which could certainly happen. Like that's the other thing, actually. There's a, there's a real chance the Ravens, <laughs> they've, they've proven that they'll take wide receivers in the first round quite happily in the last few years. There, there is a chance they'll take another one. This is a good crop again. Uh, and, you know, I like Garrett Wilson a lot. So there's a, there is a chance that they take a receiver. <laughs> Uh, that's a possibility. But there's also a chance well, that is, others will. That's something I wanted to ask, because I think we hear all teams do it, but the Ravens do it perhaps more than most, is to say best player available, best player available, always going to take the best player available. If the best player available is wide receiver and you're relatively well stocked, do you take a wide receiver or do you trade back and go, actually, yeah, not that best player available too much? As much as I think really highly of Bateman and Marquise Brown and and you know, I, I I'm a big James Prochet guy. I love the guy, but you 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 can't really like look at that group of players and say that's that's a dominant wide receiver room. It isn't yet. Not when you look around the league. And there've been some teams that have paid up big to get some superstar wide receivers in in this off season and in previous ones. So 
I don't think we are not, I don't think the Ravens are not going to take a, a wide receiver because of the room they currently have. Like there's a lot of potential in that room and it could be spectacular. I think it's probably wise to take a slightly different type of receiver to the one they have, the ones they have currently. That would make sense. That would probably put Drake London in the conversation. I like Traylon Burks, but it doesn't seem like he's as um, as high now in, in teams' minds, but I really like Traylon Burks projecting him to the next level. Uh, I love Garrett Wilson. He's my favorite of the of the receivers, but Garrett Wilson is very similar to, well, not similar, He's a, he does have a very different game, but the way where he will play is very similar to Rashad Bateman, so it might be a little bit of a waste taking Garrett Wilson. But he does bring some other things that that Bateman doesn't bring, so it's a possi- It's definitely a possibility. I, I can't I, like I can't rule it out, and I don't think the Ravens front office will be able to rule it out, especially with the talent in this in this um, wide receiver class. It's, it's a talented and deep class. I think by this time next year, when we're sat in this podcast, we're going to be talking about how much of a nightmare Marquise Brown has been, or if. If he's still on the Ravens, I think we're going to have a really interesting year with Marquise Brown. He's seen the players in the draft before him start to get properly paid, especially now it's the quick receivers they're getting paid and speed's becoming the thing that kills. And Marquise is known for his speed. If he has a good year this year, we're going to be in a, we're going to have some really tough conversations with Marquise next year, assuming that also we're not going to have paid Lamar this year unless some absolute miracle happens over the next two months, which just doesn't look like it's going to happen. You're going to have Lamar and Marquise both asking for contracts. And I know which one I'd like us to sign. And if he follows the family name, I think Marquise is going to be a real problem. So I don't hate taking a wide receiver at 14. I've seen a a trade mocked. I don't know when this has come out, that the Ravens trade with the Chiefs to pick up the 29th and 30th pick and the mock that I just happened to have in front of me, which is Chad Reuters, I think, 29th and 30th pick are um, George Kalaftis and Andrew Booth. So if we could pick both those players up at the end of the first round, that feels like where we want to be. It sort of feels like where we are at 14. For me, all the guys we really want are going to go in the top 12. And actually, we're then in a position where we go back. I think this is a year... I, I, I don't think we'll pick at 14. I think this is a year we're going one way or the other. We're either going to go up a couple of spots and grab one of these marquee players. We, we all know what's going to happen with quarterbacks. In this mock I've got in front of me, they've got five quarterbacks going in the top 14. So if you do get a little bit of a quarterback run and you've got, obviously, the, the absolute blue chip at the top of the top of the draft plus five quarterbacks in there there's a lot of talent that gets pushed down into that 12 to 14 sorry 10 to 14 range so there's a chance that the Ravens go up a couple of picks but again there is then the chance that the quarterback needy teams are going to give the Ravens something based on what you're saying with wide receivers that's what led me into this trade because Kansas City are going to need a playmaker and if there's one sat there it feels like a trade that the Ravens would make to to swap out with Kansas City. So I think I'd rather have the two first rounders personally and get just another one of those good players. There's definitely a world where, you know, everybody makes a good decision in the top 13 picks and the guys that should be gone are gone. And if that is the case, then the Ravens are left kind of at the altar. So I could certainly see a trade back in that scenario. 
I like you guys, I could certainly see a trade up. The thing I wouldn't rule out is a small trade back. So the 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 real strength of this draft class is like mid second to early fourth. There are a bunch of players that you should you should not have available at that time. You like you're spoiled for choice when you start picking there. So I would I could see them adding another day two pick um by going back a back a few spots, not quite all the way to the back the end of the first round, but you know, back five to ten spots and picking up an extra extra day two or early day three pick because it's just the purple patch of the draft. You just can't when we I, I very rarely do mock draft simulators. I do not like them, but when I do uh, when you get into that third round range, you're just spoiled for choice. It's like, well, I want to take this guy, I want to take this guy, and then I want to take this guy, and how do I maneuver the board to be able to take all those guys? So, When I get into the third round of my draft, I'm like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> who is this guy? So, yeah, very similar feelings. Ian, what sort, what sort of players are we seeing experts mock into the Ravens at 14? Everyone that we've touched on or have we missed anyone? Pretty much everyone we've we've touched on. Um, so, so DJ in his latest one had uh, Carl Aftis, as we said. Uh, he's, he's previously had uh, Stingley, I think he had in his one before. Todd McShay had us taking Jermaine Johnson. The interesting one that we haven't touched on yet and he was he was a very popular early pick and Mel Kuyper's just sat on this one and, and he hasn't he hasn't changed. Is a is our centre from uh, uh, James is going to tell me what school he's from because I've completely forgot. But it's uh, Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa. Yeah, Iowa. Yeah, he's so yeah. We didn't touch on Linderbaum, did we? Uh, so Linderbaum is probably another. <laughs> he's probably another Mona Lisa in my room player because um, like he's a waste with the Ravens. He's going to be an outstanding zone centre in the league. He's you know he's got some his movement skills are ridiculous for the size he is. Um, he is small for the Ravens. Like the Ravens like big centers. They, you know, Ryan Jensen types um, are usually the guys they like. They're like big guys there. And Linderbaum is not. He's 6'2". And he weighed in, I think he just got to 300 pounds at his pro day recently. So he, like he's a little bit on the small side. I don't doubt that he could, like he could play in the Ravens scheme. We're not suggest. I'm not suggesting that he can't gap block. He's just not as good at it as he is as his own blocker. So I think he probably needs to be a trade back to, to pick him up at, at value. Uh, I just think, like I said, I think if you, if you trade it back and it's around in the 20s and he's still available, then yeah, I'd, I think I'd take the card up. But he's a classic guy who probably doesn't quite fit what the Ravens do particularly well um, and might be someone that the Ravens might might sort of pass on or have a little bit lower down their board than others which means the others will will inevitably end up taking you. I've got a um, mock draft aggregator here, which kind of claims to mash a whole bunch of them together. Well, and they Shane, have, um, sorry, sorry, it's interesting. Where have you found this? Because two, three years ago, the NFL, NFL.com used to have Draft Central, which basically did the, did exactly what you're looking at on screen. You had all the analysis, all the, the analysts across the top. Your picks down, and you can just sit there and just scroll across fourteen and see them all. What that was the coolest thing ever. What has happened to that? Where well, you, I think probably on? that the various mock draft people get annoyed if their drafts get taken and put on other people's websites. So they've stopped doing it. So this one doesn't actually tell you, doesn't give you an individual breakdown on where everybody's being taken, but it does have Linderbaum with a peak of seven, but um, he apparently comes out on aggregate at 23 
So they do see him lower than uh, than 14, definitely. Right. Anything else on the first round? We've talked about all the, I guess, likely... Well, we, this, this, is, this is nuts. We, we, we have no idea what's going to happen, but we've talked about all who, the players we'd like to see, what fits the need for the Ravens. Is there anything else in the first round before we start looking at the middle rounds? I suppose the only other guy is, is Devin Lloyd, who we touched on early on, uh, who's a, uh, yeah, a six foot three rangy linebacker that I think will play Mike linebacker in the NFL. Um, he's kind of a do it all guy. I think he can cover in both zone and man coverage. Um, he plays the run really hard with play strength, play speed. You know, he processes really quickly. Like he, one of the most important things for linebackers is being able to process and sort through traffic and get to the ball carrier. Uh, take good angles. He does all of that. Um, he can also rush the passer a little bit. So he got eight sacks last year um, from the middle linebacker position. So uh, Although they, they rushed him off the edge a lot. So he's a really interesting guy who could, I think, could start at Mike Linebacker, the Ravens. I think he's good enough too. Um, and I think him and Queen would make a dynamic, dynamic partnership at Linebacker. Uh, there are some people that think he's not quite at the sort of top 10 player in this class level. Um, so if the Ravens think that, then then you know maybe not. I don't think he's quite at the top ten level, but I do think he's one of those guys that I talked about earlier, like Jordan Davis, um, who you kind of consider in that sort of sweet spot. And I think he's definitely someone who who could intrigue the Ravens. Based on his little profile picture on the NFL.com site, I have come to the conclusion that Derek Stingler Jr. is going to be a flop. He does not look like a quarterback. It just doesn't look like it just doesn't look like a cornerback. So I'm out. I'm out on that. <laughs> I um I prefer Sauce Gardner because he sort of looks a little bit like Marlon Humphrey, but a little bit younger. So um based on profile pictures alone, <laughs> I'll go I'll go for Sauce Gardner. Okay. So let's sort of that film review, James. Don't bother with that stuff. Just look at the profile picture. Yeah. It's like this is like Tinder for NFL draft is how I'm doing it. You're like you're on whatever the more detailed ones are, where you like learn about the personality first. I just want to know: Are you fit? Um, and <laughs> Sauce Gardner, he's he's my guy. I definitely swipe whichever way you're meant to swipe. I've been in a long-term relationship for 13, 14 years. Well played, no guys. Well played. The, the, the missus listens to this, doesn't she? So you've you've done well there. <laughs> Right, okay, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about the middle and late rounds. So, before we get into the third and fourth round, let's have five minutes of silliness from Shane. Shane, you've got some some names you like in, in is it this year's draft or is it coming into college? Where, where are these? Where are well, these it just went generally. Yeah, so I started with my favourite name in this year's draft, which is Fazion McClurge. Um, <laughs> Fazion being P-H-A-Z-I-O-N-E. Wow. Um, McClurge. It's the combination of Fazion and McClurge. I think just it just sounds, <laughs> that's a great, that's a great name. <clears throat> so I like that a lot. Uh, and then uh, James had his favourite name from this year's draft. Yeah, my, uh, Fish McWilliams is my, uh, my favourite <laughs> name. <laughs> Which is a good one. I don't think Fish is actually his name, is it? It's a bit like Sauce Gardner. No, it's, it's, uh, it's not christened it's Fish. But <laughs> from there, we can go on to the guy who's apparently going to college uh, this 
September as a wide receiver, um, and his name is DeColdest to ever do it Crawford. Uh, his first name being DeColdest, D-E-C-O-L-D-E-S-T, and his middle name is to ever do it, which is capital T-O, capital E-V-A, capital D-O, capital I-T. The coldest to ever do it, Crawford. It just as well he's like on the brink of college. Can you imagine if he'd just been rubbish, like just um, like completely hopeless? And is the coldest Crawford? Is that is that birth name? Yep, that's you know. what his parents called him, Mister and Mrs. Crawford. Went with <laughs> <laughs> the coldest. Is what they're going to go with? Wow. I was, I was, I was also mentioning that we're. I think we are uh, in the year that uh, General Booty is going to college as well. So that's, that's good. <laughs> General Booty. Yeah. The coldest future wa- Ravens. Future Ravens. <laughs> I assume is a wide receiver. The uh, coldest to ever do it. Crawford. Amazing. I mean, it's my one of my all-time favorite NFL names is Barkevius Mingo. Barkevius, who's been sort of. Bouncing around the NFL on a few teams now, but Barkevius Mingo, which is a great name, but his brother, who is not a pro player, I don't know what his brother does, his brother is called Hutavius, which I think is also an excellent name. <laughs> Hutavius Mingo and Barkevius Mingo. Brilliant. Oh, hang on. Hang on a second. Hang on. Who is this guy we've got here? I think Come we've on, got, fellas. I think, is that, is, that Cole, is that Cole's intro music I can hear? He's a great follower and he's a, a fellow tape head like me. James, what's um, Cole Jackson been up to this week? He has been doing some good film rooms, as you go and watch. <laughs> um, we've had him on uh, earlier in the, in the year. Cole Jackson's uh, two guys watching football YouTube. He, he has um, done a video breakdown of, um, of Ben Cleveland. It's really good. You should go and watch it if, you, if you're a bit more interested in that. Cole's going to have to start paying us soon because that's about three weeks <laughs> now. Yeah. I'm plugged his YouTube, so show us the money. I'm going to do a... Um, a uh, film room for Cole Jackson's uh, YouTube channel. That's great, thanks, Cole. Moving away from uh, <laughs> the Ravens a little bit. Um, you and I, you and I bonded over being being film guys. What what was great there was that you really touched on on me and you talk about all the time, which is context. You know, what are you seeing? Are you seeing this guy? What is he being asked to do? Uh, and against and against what type of competition? That's the other thing that I feel people just need to be a little bit careful about, it, even casually. Just think about you and I bonded over, you and I bonded over being, being <laughs> the film guys. That's great, thanks, Cole. That is that will be the intro, you know it. <laughs> so, so I didn't know that was going to turn into like a a love story towards Cole until about halfway through, and then I put the, I sort of put the piano behind it and. And, and everything seemed to, to make sense. So, with that in mind, welcome to the show. The most famous man on this podcast from what looks to be a golf course somewhere in Canada, I assume. That looks awesome. Welcome to the show, Cole. How are you doing? I'm doing well, boys. Uh, yeah, hopefully you guys aren't billing me in the UK pound. I'm going to be broke in Canadian <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I am joining you from beautiful Castleview Golf Course in Castleman, Ontario, Canada. <laughs> awesome. How are man. you guys doing? Very well. How are you? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah, no, just uh, I got the opportunity to get out here. Uh, got the night off from the kids. So got out here and you, James mentioned you guys were looking to talk some balls. So I thought, hey, why not multitask? James, there's nothing James loves more than talking hands-on ball with, uh, with you, Cole. So. <laughs> 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 let's let's jump straight into it then um 
guys, now we're all together. Should we talk about some crucial third and fourth round picks that we like? Um, Cole, do you want to lead us off? Who do you who do you like in the who do you like in the mid rounds? Have you got have you got a name that's, that's that jumps straight out? Yeah, I do. I mean, I could talk on that topic for hours and hours and hours. But uh, I think when you look at some of the big needs, um, a couple of those mid round guys that I like to tackle, um, and this is one of those years where it's rarely kind of deep at left tackle options for developmental guys. So a couple of names that pop out are guys like Max Mitchell from Louisiana Lafayette. I personally think he's going to go a little bit higher, but most people are kind of mocking him and placing him in that third, fourth round kind of category. Um, another guy that I'm higher on the most is Obena Easy out of Texas Christian. He's just a guy that uh, when, you, when you're looking at these I'll compare to like a guy that I liked and he didn't pan out for the Ravens, but a guy like Greg Sanoff, a guy that had some of the physical tools but needed some coaching and obviously didn't work out. They kind of let go of him early and he never caught on. But I always have a soft spot for some of those guys with, you know, athletic or physical tools that you can't develop, right? Like you can't teach a guy to be long. You can't teach a guy to be, um, well, I mean, you can teach a guy to be strong, but you can't necessarily teach some of that competitive toughness, some of the functional strength. Um, you know, you can be a weight room warrior and not put it on the field. So, Obinit Easy is one of those guys. He brings kind of the size, the length, um, really good footwork. Uh, he's being coached up really well by Logan Tully Tillman. Um, so, he's a guy that kind of pops out. When you look at some of the edge guys, a guy like Alex Wright out of UAB just screams Baltimore Raven to me. Um, you know, if, if you can't get a guy like Josh Pascal in the second or third, you might be able to get Alex Wright in the fourth. And I think he can do some similar things, um, in terms of inside outside versatility. Um, when you look at some of the linebackers, it's kind of a deep linebacker class. You're looking for kind of a replacement for Chris Ford, someone that can do a little bit of pass coverage, play some special teams. I like Terrell Bernard out of Baylor. Um, really intriguing guy. And then I find this running back group is, not, I wouldn't say it's, well, it's definitely not top heavy. I mean, there might not even be a first round guy or a top 50 guy, but a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of interesting mid round guys. So, you know, I think Hassan Haskins has been rightly linked to the Ravens from Michigan, classic Michigan, Baltimore connection, um, as long as it's not a fullback. Um, so, uh, I, I think he's a guy that's going to intrigue people. Um, but there, there's a few other running backs. So, I mean, it, it's a great year to have five fourth round picks. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm kind of on board with packaging those to move up at some point, but if they sit and pick, I think there's going to be a ton of value picks. So James, Rory asked through Twitter about Max Mitchell. Do you two just want to talk quickly about Max Mitchell and, and what he could bring to the Ravens? Yeah, for me, he's in it. I mean, me and Cole might differ a little bit on him. For me, he, he's, um, I think ideally the, the great thing about him is he's a little bit, little bit on the short side in terms of his arm length um but i think one of the things we, uh Colin and i talk about a lot is like i think he's very good at maximizing the length he has like he he's he knows how he wins and he knows how he can he can win with through his limitations uh so i think he's the thing with him is i think what you probably want with him is i think he's an ideal sixth sixth offensive line guy like i think he's a guy that you could probably He's very versatile. He's already proved he's versatile. Um, and I think you could move him around the line. You could probably play him inside. I think you could play him outside. I, I, I kind of like him as a as a versatile piece that you could you could add and maybe he turns into a guy 
that ends up playing that ends up playing regularly on the outside for the Ravens. Maybe he succeeds um, Morgan Moses when that when that contract ends. Yeah, see, and I, I think I'm a little bit higher on him than that. Specifically, I, I just love his pass protection. He's a seamless mover. Um, I get a little bit, I mean, the length issues are always going to stand out with these guys. And, uh, he's one of those guys where I wouldn't say he's necessarily the most hand-skilled. Um, so that, that's what I look at. You guys know I'm not a big arm length guy, but if, if you have short arms, I have to see hand-skill. Um, so that is where, when people talk about his length, I do see some legit concerns. Um, and I kind of understand the length limitations there. Um, but I'm just one of those guys. It's kind of one of my biases with offensive tackles. If you have good feet, I always feel like I can work with you. Um, we can kind of work on the hands. I get a little bit less, or I get a little bit more concerned when you have bad feet. So that's kind of where I stand on Mitchell. I think he's going to go a bit. Uh, so just switching to another guy, I know you like Cole, um, that the guy that people might want to hear you talk about is, um, because I think he'll be day, I think he'll pr- might be day two actually in the end. But uh, Jamari Salia, because we've talked about kind of versatile guys who might be able to move around a bit. Um, talking about him, I know you like him. Yeah, he's one of those guys where I have no idea where he's going to play at the next level. Like I could see him playing center, I could see him playing left tackle. But what I do know about him is he's going to find a place to play in the NFL. He's just he's one of those guys. He's your classic battler. Um, so. I, I really, really like Salyer. Um, he just, I guess the only thing that concerns me with him is I think he's going to go relatively high. And so if the Ravens were to take him in, let's say the, let's say the second round, is he coming in to play tackle for you? Is he kind of your backup option at left tackle? Um, you know, where does he kind of fit in your current, uh, positional makeup? And I think that's going to be the big concern if the Ravens go with him, but as a prospect, I just, I, I just love his games. He's definitely got some physical uh, athletic limitations, um, and I think those are pretty well documented out there. But like I said, true battler, very versatile skill set. Um, he's going to find his way onto a starting offensive line in the NFL. And he's going to be like McCarry, where he can kind of play all five spots for you, which is always going to be appetizing for a front office. So, so Carl, we, we spoke earlier that the Ravens are, are really unlikely to spend a high draft pick on a centre. Maybe who are some of the guys later on that the Ravens might might take a flyer on? Someone that might might even have to sit a year or two and, and learn and then they can plug in. I think a guy that a lot of people are high on and see as a scheme fit is Luke Fortner out of Kentucky. And I can see that a little bit, but I think I'm lower on him than most. Um, I didn't find him that powerful at the point of attack. I thought he had a little bit of a weak anchor in uh, in pass protection. Um, so I'm a little bit lower on him than others. Uh, but a guy that I really like, and it's kind of funny because he is undersized, and I'm, you know, hashtag team no Linderbaum, uh, but I just find Cam Jurgens plays a lot better in those one-on-one drive block situations than I saw from Linderbaum. Obviously, Linderbaum is a better prospect, better pass protector. Um, they're both gifted movers. Uh, but in terms of finding a guy that can kind of, uh, you know, come in and, and be a versatile piece in the in, in the scheme that where you're going to run a little bit of zone, but you're going to also run some heavy gap. I actually think Jurgens could be a really good fit uh, in Baltimore. Which, but I do acknowledge it is ironic because he is almost the same size and has almost the same athleticism as Tyler Linderbaum. I really like Fortner Cole, but I think I'm I'm entirely with you in terms of his fit with the Ravens. Uh, you know, for me, he's 
you know, uh, Colin and I point out a, a draft report this week that will be available for everybody. And then um, we're giving everybody a, a five, one out of five star fit for the Ravens. And he was one of the very few guys I gave a two star fit to. Um, I really like him as a player. I just think his he's got a real positioning deficiency as a drive blocker. He won't, he won't get in. He, 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 I think there's a kind of a general lack of kind of sustain and finish to his blocks as a, as a gap blocker that just makes me concerned about him in the Ravens scheme. But I do really, I really like him as a player. I just, I just not, for the, just not for, for the Ravens. I wanted to just quickly touch on, um, cause Cole, you mentioned a couple of edge guys and I wanted to just quickly touch on a couple of guys I like, um, on day two. Um, if, if, as we suspect, there's a possibility that, you know, those top, top guys are all gone and the Ravens have to go in a different direction. I, I like, um, so he's probably going to go round two. I think they probably have to take him at 45, but I really like, and I know this is kind of, this isn't a surprise because I've put it out there already. And I think there are a lot of people that like him, but I really like Josh Pascal out of Kentucky, um, who's got some inside outside versatility. Um, he's a, like, he's an outstanding run defender right away. Um, just a, a really great run defender. He plays with really great play strength at the point of attack. Um, he, he's really quite raw as a pass rusher for me. He doesn't really have a plan. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He doesn't have a lot of moves that he can deploy, but the guy's explosive. Uh, he can corner. He's got plenty of bend. Uh, I think he was in the ninth, in the 90th above or percentile in all of the explosive testing, the 10-yard splits, the vertical jump, the broad jump. So there's a real ceiling there with him. Um, as well as having that should have that demon edge run defender to start with. Um, so I really like Josh Pascal for the Ravens. And then if you go a little bit further down the board, I think I, I really like D'Angelo Malone out of Western Kentucky, who will be a situational pass rusher to start with. He, you know, he's, he's very deficient against the run. He's quite light in the pants. You're, you're going to have to get him in an NFL weight room and, and get some, get some bulk on the kid. But I think he is a, I think he's pro ready as a pass rusher, like his hand usage, his rush plan. Uh, and then he's got plenty of developmental traits too, because I think he's got lots of bend as well and he corners really well. So I like D'Angelo Malone as kind of like a situational pass rusher that you maybe add in, in the third or fourth round and, and put him in the rotation uh, with the other guys they've got there. I haven't seen Malone yet, but I love Josh Pascal and he kind of makes sense. I think they were looking for, that type of skill set, um, though I do think he leans more towards being a run defender uh, than a than a pass rusher. But I think that's kind of what they were looking for in Zadarius Smith. They wanted that kind of inside-outside positional versatility where um, it kind of puts Pascal in a, in a position to succeed, where you kind of get him in there against, you know, at the three-tech, at the four-eye, that sort of thing early in his career. I think that would give him uh, favorable looks, and then you're still getting Bowser and Oway on the field. Um, a guy that's kind of weirdly fall into the third round is Miage Sanders. Um, he's just a guy that I think his production took a big hit, um, a lot like George Karlaftis's did, uh, just by nature of drawing so much attention from the, uh, from the offense, uh, tons of chips, tons of, like, it was to the point where, uh, he got frustrated in a game and his coach spoke about it. Um, just saying like, we know how much this kid does for us and, He's constantly eating double teams, freeing up, uh, you know, there, there were games where they were just constantly sending the running back out on chips. Um, but he's an explosive kind of stand up, uh, two point stance guy. I think he'd fit really well. Um, you know, I don't think he's a good run blocker. Um, he's definitely not good against gap concepts, but I actually thought he was pretty good against zone. Uh, he uses his agility really well. There was a couple times where 
He just did enough to force the running back to the sideline. And I think that's kind of what you want to see. You want to see him be able to, um, you know, find ways to win. It showed a high-level football IQ. So, Miage Sanders is one of those guys in the third round I'd love to get. Um, I mentioned Alex Wright again. He's kind of like Pascal a little bit in terms of that inside-outside versatility. And then, you know, more of a – this guy will probably go a little bit higher. Um, I'm actually writing him up for, for James, so I just watched him today because I watched him earlier, and I was like, ah, i got to watch a couple more games on this guy. Drake Jackson is super, super intriguing uh, out of USC. Um, kind of reminds me a little bit of Ojabo where he's he's just raw. He doesn't have, you know, much of a plan, but explosive traits. Um, you know, his, his first step is nasty. Uh, kind of reminds me, I, I could see Mike McDonald using him very similarly to David Ojabo at Michigan. So I kind of like the fit there. Um, you know, could be maybe there around 76. Um, but a really interesting guy. I just, I, I love seeing, again, it's things you can't coach, right? I can't coach that explosive first step. And it didn't just look like snap timing to me, um, just, you know, souped up edge rusher. So Drake Jackson's a guy that really intrigues me. We mentioned possibly needing um, multiple cornerbacks uh, brought in to, uh, during this draft just to fill out some of the depth, if nothing else. Uh, what do you like in the third and fourth round as far as cornerbacks go? Uh, a couple of corners. I find this, it's pretty deep at the top. Um, you know, those first six, seven guys really intrigue me. I find it falls off a little bit. So, you know, a guy like McCollum out of Sam Houston State, if I have it right, really intrigues me. Um, has seemed to have a lot of the traits that the Ravens would like. I know a guy that, uh, he's not necessarily a mid-round pick, but um, a guy like Sam McCreary could be really, yeah, no worries, bud. Um, a guy like Sam McCreary, or Sam McCreary, uh, Roger McCreary out of Auburn could be really interesting, um, but doesn't really fit their mold. Um, you know, I think he's a lot more competitive and his arm length matters a lot less for me personally, but the Ravens usually like those big, long, physical guys. Um, he plays physical, but, you know, is the kind of measurables going to throw them off? So, again, he's more of like a second-round guy. So, um, But then a couple other guys, Monte Taylor, uh, Cam Taylor Britt, the Nebraska, Tennessee, uh, really intriguing guys. Um, and then if they're looking for a slot corner, I'm a little bit higher on them than most, but I kind of like the game Mikel Wright from Oregon had. If they're looking for kind of a true slot corner to replace Tavon, um, I think people have really kind of soured on him, but I'm much, much, much higher on him than others. I've got a couple that are probably more second round guys, but um, uh, I, I absolutely love Marcus Jones. And if you, you know, if you, Plug in the tape, he, he really does look like a, a raven. He's he is an outstanding cover corner. He, I think he, looking at what he what he does and and looking at him on tape, I do think he probably um, translates to a to a slot corner in the NFL. Like he's five foot eight, and it does kind of show the the play strength length efficiency does kind of show up a bit on film. But he's got elite movement skills, and he's so tough. Um, so I think you could plug him in um, and take over at slot corner. And then the other guy that's really intriguing that I think is intriguing next to the pick of Brandon Stevens last year is Tariq Woolen, um, who's a um, crazy athletic dude, like has, uh, you know, I think he's he ran a 4-2-6-40, so the kid isn't going to last out of the second round. He's at the moment, he's kind of a linear athlete. He played receiver for for two first two years. Uh, and he's only been a corner the last last couple of years. And the Ravens seem to like those guys that show real growth, even when they're young at the position, like they did with Stevens. 
Um, and so I think they'll probably like Woolen. The, the only thing with Woolen is I do think he kind of moves like a receiver at the moment. He doesn't really move like a defensive back. But um, he's he's a really, really intriguing guy at some point. But like I said, I think probably second round for him. I agree big time on Woolen. Um, he does kind of scream Raven to me. The only thing that worried me was exactly what you said, lack of kind of east-west movement. Um, seems like one of those guys where, uh, you know, if you were going to play a lot of cover three and you just kind of want him to carry deep, I think he could do that really well for you. Um, so I don't know about you guys, but whenever I go back and watch Michigan, I just have a hard time trying to get a handle on what Mike McDonald's going to ask his DBs to do. Um, you know, when you're calling a defense with two, I mean, elite college football edge rushers, um, you know, you're allowed to cheat a little bit. So it's been really tough for me to kind of get that type of he's going to ask these guys to do. Uh, you know, I do think he's going to share some of those. Uh, some uh, I saw the DBs a little bit more tone than man. So I think in that regard, I do like Tony Poland, what he has to do here. Cool. Cole, we're going to let you get back to your game of golf. So we, we can see Cole on the video screen in front of us. All he's done is walk for the it's entire like, it's, time he's talking. It's so like me playing it golf. Can either, it can either dry, can either dry from the tee for about three miles, B, he's lost his ball, or C, we're severely delaying his game. So I propose that we let Cole get back to his round of golf. And thank you very much for joining us. Oh no, see, this is how much I like you guys. I'll join you. Round of golf, game of hockey, um, you know, <laughs> mid mid football in between snaps, I'll hop on, I'll just go and mute him while I'm playing the snap. Uh, oh. thank you guys so much for having me. I love all you guys. Awesome. Thanks, Carl. Appreciate you. Thanks, Have a Carl. Good one. Enjoy the round. <laughs> and there goes the love of James's life, Cole Jackson. <laughs> Cole, Cole Jackson with a lot of awesome insight into rounds two through four okay we're fastly approaching on an hour and a half let's just have 10 minutes and let's just talk about the back end in a segment that we have named players you have never heard of that james likes late james talk about some super late rounders and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about punters before we get out of here yeah, so super late rounders is going to be difficult for me, uh, which I should have said uh, pre-show before we uh, before we did this. Uh, just because, so uh, I mentioned it on the when Cole was on. Um, I've been uh, I'm I am producing a draft report this year that is a Ravens focused draft guide. So you can read some great draft reports out there. You know, go go and get the beast from Dane Brugler on the Athletic, and he, his his draft guide is phenomenal. Uh, you, Lance Airlines um, profiles on NFL.com are great too. There's a load of great, great content out there. But the one thing they can't do is evaluate for every single team. So I, I have evaluated every player with the Ravens in mind and with a fit with the, a comment about the fit about the Ravens um, and sort of rating them on that perspective. Uh, it's gone over 70,000 words, uh, but it's, it's, um, it's just over 100 players. Um, and because I've gone so in-depth on those those hundred players, I haven't quite got yet to uh, the extra 150 to 200 that aren't going to get drafted yet. But what I can do is talk about some guys towards the end of my top 100 who probably are still going to be day two guys, maybe early day three guys that that I do like. Um, and so I, I wanted to call out one of my 
one of my guys who I've mentioned a few times, who I do think probably doesn't go top 100. I really do think he will be a, a kind of slightly later round pick, uh, which is Damian Pierce. Cole mentioned that this running back class is, is, a, is, a, is a good one in terms of depth. It doesn't have the star power at the top. But there are a number of really intriguing options. You know, you probably are going to get like a Brian Robinson, who was Alabama's starter last year in the sort of fourth, fifth round this year. Uh, and so you're going to get some interesting guys. But my guy that I really like, Damian Pierce, he's from Florida. Uh, he was criminally underused by Florida. They just did not get him in the game at all. Uh, he had so few carries. He was part of a committee. Uh, it was just, it was absurd, really. Uh, but the game that really convinced me on him was when, when they played Georgia. And if you w- go back and watch Georgia play every game last season, uh, which I think I pretty much have done now probably several times, uh, you'll see that running backs just don't get any change out of that Georgia defensive front. It's going to have three it's going to have three first round picks probably on that line. And then there are three linebackers who are all going to go in the first two days as well. So to have six day two picks in the front seven, you just, you're just not running on that defense. The one guy that did run on that defense was Damian Pierce. Frustratingly, Florida only gave him, I think eight carries in that game, but, um, but he was, he ran quite successfully on that, on that defensive front. So I really like Damian Pierce. I think he's going to be a good running back. And I think he'd be a nice fit with the Ravens too. Um, and you know, a guy who's a kind of workhorse, like I think he could be a three down back. So he's a guy that you kind of pull, pull in and hope that maybe he's someone who can develop um, and and provide some insurance for, for Dobbins and Edwards like we talked about earlier. Um, the other guy I probably wanted to to kind of touch on uh, in terms of in terms of later round guys, um, I think is it, it, so it's it's a tight end. So bear with me. Uh, and actually, in the end, he may like I said, he's probably not going to go late round. I'm sure he's going to go day two, maybe even in in the end when it's all said and done, early day two. But tight end positional value, I, I would expect probably he, he he lasts until at least the end of round three. Um, is Jelani Woods out of Virginia? Jelani Woods was a um, kind of blocking tight end at Oklahoma State. He didn't catch a lot of balls for his first uh, first couple of years in college. And then he transferred to Virginia because he believed he had a he had some potential as a as a tight end and uh, as a as a receiving tight end. And he ended up with a really good year with Virginia. Uh, he's for me, I, I think he is uh like there's so much potential with him as a blocker because he's done it for done it for so long. There's there is like some technical deficiencies that that need work as a blocker, but he's six seven. Um, so he's he's ridiculously big and he runs a four six one, which uh, is is very fast for tight ends. Um, he's extremely explosive. The the kid has some work to do as a receiver, but you would expect that given that he's not really been asked to do it very much. So I think what he becomes is a really nice hybrid between Andrews and Boyle, um, and someone who you can use in the kind of Hayden Hurst role that they've been missing. Uh, and I do think they will take a tight end at some point this this year. I think a lot of people like the kid out of Maryland. Um, just as a as a state like a, a hometown kid staying home story, which would be nice. But I really like Jelani Woods, and I could talk about these type of guys all day because I, I do love doing the the day two guys, day early day three guys. I think that's where you get better and where you really do improve your team. And there's a bunch in this draft that are really great, and some of these guys will last very like will last a long time. Like will have there'll be some of these guys that you know I'm a bit higher on than the league is and, and it ends up that they end up lasting till the fifth, sixth round and 
I still think you're getting a steal when you when you get them down there. Well, I think by chance we've sort of um, answered every question that got sent in. Thank you to Rory, Dan, Phil, who all sent um, questions in, which I think have been answered. I think there were some others that I probably missed, in which case, sorry, before we get out of this marathon show, we should really talk about Matt Eraser, Shane. Let's talk Let's talk about the punter. How... How high, how high does he go? And how high has the punter gone before? <laughs> yeah, well, so, so that's that's where I can really help you, is how high a punter has gone before. Because I, I mean, James can talk a little bit about Eraser in, in a minute, but I think these days, especially with the, the Ravens' ability to, to develop kickers and special teamers, I think people would be shocked if they took a punter. Uh, that wasn't the case in the 70s when the NFL was a pretty different game. It was much more a trenches game. It was three yards in a cloud of dust football. And punters were a bit more important. So Ray Guy from the Raiders was taken in the first round. And he's, I think, the only punter in the Hall of Fame, I think. Um, but we were looking earlier and we found that the highest a punter was taken was 11th in 1979 by the New Orleans Saints. But that wasn't the really the really astonishing thing that I found, is that um, our good friends, the Cleveland Browns, who I guess were actually <laughs> the same franchise as us back in those days, in 1977, they took a punter in the second round, a guy named Tom Skladani, uh, who became the first guy to, to hold out for an entire season. Um, and for younger fans, before the, the, franchise, uh, the franchise tag came in, the salary cap, uh, the ability to, to, for players to be free agents and to move between teams and um, all of the, the stuff that's kind of... Um, uh, formalized the way that salaries are agreed in the NFL. It used to be the case that teams would negotiate with everybody they drafted. And if a player didn't like his deal, the only thing he could do was hold out because he wasn't going to go anywhere else. So he that, that team held his rights. Uh, so he was the only guy to have held out for an entire season. And they traded his rights to the Detroit Lions and he went on to become a punter for the Detroit Lions. The following year, the, the Browns drafted Clay Matthews, who's the father of the Clay Matthews you may have seen play recently, and then a certain Ozzie Newsome in the first round. They had two first-round picks that year, so they drafted Ozzie Newsome with their second first-round pick. And then in the second round, they drafted another punter. Back-to-back, <laughs> round two punters in 77 and 78. It's insane. Can there can there have been a team that's, that's put two... I mean, in those days, how many teams would there have been in 78? It was 26, depending on when... I don't know if it was 26 or 28 teams in the NFL, but whatever it was, they drafted punters twice in the top 50 or so in back-to-back years. That's astonishing. Anyway, Matt Eraser. Yeah, so I think, I, th- I don't know if it's a Razor or a Riser. I think it might be a Riser. But anyway, he, uh, so I see people take him in 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 mock drafts, in the mock draft simulators, and they're like, oh, sixth rounder, I'll throw it on, on Matt Eraser. Matt Eraser, I don't think he's getting out of day two. Like that, that's, it will be, there'll be a pick in the third round where someone picks him and they'll, people will go like, what a punter and Rich Eisen will scream about how punters are people too. And somebody at some point will say, this kid is actually special. <laughs> like this isn't just someone taking a flyer on a punter. So I think he's had, I was looking before he has 15 punts this year of 60 yards or more. Uh, he actually has two of 80 yards or more. 
And in Hawaii, he punted the ball 90 yards at one point. So you can be in your own end zone and he will completely flip field position. And he's more than, he's extremely accurate. So he's more than likely to pin you in the 20, inside the 20 yard line. So the guy is a weapon. I think he kicks field goals and takes kickoffs too. He's a weapon. Like someone's going to take him in day two. He's, he's too generationally good to to get out of the third round. Certainly not going to get out of the fourth round, I don't think, looking at the history with punters. Uh, especially if he's a guy that could potentially kick field goals too because the NFL, as we know with how much the Ravens got for Kari Vedvik, uh, is always looking for a guy that can do both so that they can have an extra roster spot. So so who takes them then? Are there any teams in the NFL that are maybe led by a, a special teams head coach or anything that might sort of really really like the look of this guy? It's going to be a second, also- round, second round pick for the Browns. It's got to be, isn't it? Like it's, it's history, it's all there. It's all there. Browns take him I wouldn't the second wish round. That on him. What do we think? But on, a, on a serious note, where do you think? You think he's going day two, James? Where, where is he going? Yeah, he's going in the third round. I don't know who though. I just, you can't you can't handicap punters. I don't I don't know who's going to end up. I mean, maybe maybe Green Bay. I don't know who Green Bay's punter is, but you know, Green Bay had such a terrible special teams unit last year. Maybe Rich Bisaccia, who went over there, who was the Raiders head coach last year, uh, went over there to be their special teams coordinator. Maybe he gets a maybe he gets a special present. Uh, in Matt Ariza for his first year on the job. Well, and don't overlook Bill Belichick either, who absolutely loves special teams. He's not left-footed though, is he? Doesn't Belichick? That's true. He does. He does punters. particularly like a left-footed punter. It's true. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go We're for the, the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> <laughs> got, I think he's got the fa- the Falcons written all over it. He finishes off. Where are you he'd, going? He'd be the best player on the Falcons. So why not? <laughs> 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 okay let's get out of here we're gonna be back next week no next week two weeks. next week no two weeks two, two weeks. weeks from now let's do a bit of like live on show admin shall we two weeks which we're going to be a little bit delayed on the release it'll be a saturday release of a podcast recorded on a friday is that what we decided in the end? So the first day right. of the draft is the Thursday. We'll record the podcast on the Friday where we'll talk about only the person we pick in the first round or if anything weird happens in the first round. We'll talk about the first round, but we will have recorded it before the second and third round start. So it will just be about the first round. We will then reconvene on our usual Tuesday recording spot four days later and talk about the back end of the draft does that sound right that's look good right look at us knowing what we're doing <laughs> um we'll see we'll talk about any other raven breaking ravens news any trades that go on during the draft any cool tidbits and if a punter gets drafted in the first round we are definitely going to be talking about that if you want to come on like Coldy from a golf course in canada as always, please email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. And until next week, let's go Ravens. Thank you for listening to the UK Ravens podcast. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by members of the UK Ravens. Join the community on social media at UK Ravens and facebook.com forward slash UK Ravens. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the UK Ravens podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. To be involved with the show, email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. 
For more info, links and to stay up to date, visit www.ukravens.com. James, what's um, Cole Jackson been up to this week? He has been doing some good film rooms, as you go and watch. <laughs> um, we've had him on uh, earlier in the in the year. Cole Jackson's uh, two guys watching football YouTube. He, he has um, done a video breakdown of um, of Ben Cleveland. It's really good. You should go and watch it if you if you're a bit more interested in that. Cole's going to have to start paying us soon because that's about three weeks running now. Yeah. We've plugged his YouTube, so show us the money. I'm going to do a, um, a film room for Cole Jackson's uh, YouTube channel. That's great. Thanks, Cole. Moving away from the the Ravens a little bit, um, you and I you and I bonded over being being film guys. What what was great there was that you really touched on on me and you talk about all the time, which is context. You know, what are you seeing? Are you seeing this guy? What is he being asked to do? Uh, and against and against what type of competition? That's the other thing that I feel people just need to be a little bit careful about, it, even casually. Just think about you and I bonded over. You and I bonded over being being film guys. That's great, thanks, Cole. That is that will be the intro. You know it. <laughs> <laughs>